This is Everyday Light, a perfectly imperfect reading of the One Year Daily Bible. I'm Molly, a fellow pilgrim on the road to the kingdom, and it is a joy to have you traveling this journey with me, with the Word of God as a lamp to our feet and a light to our path. This is the one-year Bible reading for August the 15th, and we are starting today in Nehemiah chapter 9, verse 22. If you remember, the Israelites have all uh, gathered in Jerusalem, and they celebrated um, uh, the Lord's temple, and they practiced celebration together, and then they came together again and confessed um, how far they had departed from the Lord. And at this point, they are recounting the faithfulness of the Lord. Then you, the Lord, helped our ancestors conquer great kingdoms and many nations, and you placed your people in every corner of the land. They completely took over the land of King Sihon of Heshbon and the land of King Og of Bashan. You made their descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky and brought them into the land you had promised to their ancestors. They went in and took possession of the land. You subdued whole nations before them, even kings and the Canaanites who inhabited the land were powerless. Your people could deal with them as they pleased. Our ancestors captured fortified cities for fertile land. They took over houses full of good things with cisterns already dug and vineyards and olive groves and orchards in abundance. So they ate until they were full and grew fat and enjoyed themselves in all your blessings. But despite all this, they were disobedient and rebelled against you. They threw away your law and they killed the prophets who encouraged them to return to you. And they committed terrible blasphemies. So you handed them over to their enemies. But in their time of trouble, they cried to you and you heard them from heaven. In great mercy, you sent them deliverers who rescued them from their enemies. But when all was going well, your people turned to sin again. And once more, you let their enemies conquer them. Yet, whenever your people cried to you again for help, you once more from heaven. In your wonderful mercy, you rescued them repeatedly. You warned them to return to your law, but they became proud and obstinate and disobeyed your commands. They did not follow your regulations, by which people will find life if only they obey. They stubbornly turned their backs on you and refused to listen. In your love, you were patient with them for many years. You sent your spirit, who, though the prophets warned them about their sins, but they still wouldn't listen. So once again, you allowed the pagan inhabitants of the land to conquer them. But in your great mercy, you did not destroy them completely or abandon them forever. What a gracious and merciful God you are. And now our God, the great and mighty and awesome God who keeps his covenant of unfailing love, do not let all the hardships we have suffered be as nothing to you. Great trouble has come upon us and upon our kings and princes and priests and prophets and ancestors from the days when the kings of Assyria first triumphed over us until now. Every time you punished us, you were being just. We have sinned greatly, and you gave us only what we deserved. Our kings, princes, priests, and ancestors did not obey your law or listen to your commands and solemn warnings. 
Even while they had their own kingdom, they did not serve you, even though you showered them your goodness on them. You gave them a large, fertile land, but they refused to turn from their wickedness. So now today we are slaves here in the land of plenty that you gave to our ancestors. We are slaves among all this abundance. The lush produce of this land piles up in the kings whom you have set over us because of our sins. They have power over us and our cattle. We serve them at their pleasure, and we are in great misery. Yet, in this, we are making a solemn promise and putting it in writing. On this sealed document are the names of our princes and Levites and priests. The document was ratified and sealed with the following names. Nehemiah, the governor, the son of Hakaliah. The princes who signed were Zedekiah, Saraiah, Azariah. Oh, I'm sorry, those are the priests, the priests who signed. Jeremiah, Pashur, Amariah, Malchijah, Hattush, Shebaniah, Malak, Harim, Merimoth, Obadiah, Daniel, Ginathon, Baruch, Meshulam, Abijah, Mijamin, Maziah, Bilgai, and Shemaiah. These were the priests. The Levites who signed were Jeshua, son of Azaniah, Binui from the family of Henadad, Cadmiel and their fellow Levites, Shebaniah, Hodiah, Kalita, Pelaiah, Hanan, Micah, Rehob, Hashabiah, Zakur, Sherebiah, Shebaniah, Hodiah, Bani, and Beninu. The leaders who signed were Parosh, Pahath Moab, Elam, Zatu, Bani, Buni, Azgad, Bebai, Adonijah, Bigvai, Adin, Ater, Hezekiah, Azer, Hodiah, Hashum, Bezai, Harif, Anathoth, Nebai, Magpiash, Meshulam, Hazir, Meshabel, Zadok, Jadua, Palatia, Hanan, Anaiah, Hoshea, Hananiah, Hashub, Halohesh, Pilha, Shobek, Rehum, Hashabina, Mesiah, Ahiah, Hanan, Anan, Maluk, Harim, and Bena. The rest of the people, the priests, the Levites, gatekeepers, singers, temple servants, and all those who had separated themselves from the pagan people of the land in order to serve God, and who were old enough to understand, now all heartily bound themselves with an oath. They vowed to accept the curse of God if they failed to obey the law of God as issued by his servant Moses. They solemnly promised to carefully follow all the commands, laws, and regulations of the, of the Lord their God. We promise not to let our daughters marry the pagan people of the land, nor let our sons marry their daughters. We further promise that if the people of the land should bring any merchandise or grain to be sold on the Sabbath or on any other holy day, we will refuse to buy it. And we promise not to do any work every seventh year and to cancel the debts owed to us by other Jews. In addition, we promise to obey the command to pay the annual temple tax of an eighth of an ounce of silver so that there will be enough money to care for the temple of our God. 
This will provide the bread of the presence for the regular grain offerings and burnt offerings, for the offerings on the Sabbaths, the new moon celebrations, and the annual festivals, for the holy offerings and for the sin offerings to make atonement for Israel. It will also provide for the other items necessary for the work of the temple of our God. We have cast sacred lots to determine when, at regular times each year, the, pre the families of the priests, Levites, and the common people should bring wood to God's temple to be burned on the altar of the Lord our God, as required in the law. We promise always to bring the first part of every harvest to the Lord's temple, whether it be a crop from the soil or from our fruit trees. We agree to give God our oldest sons and the firstborn of all of our herds and flocks, just as the law requires. We will present them to the priests who minister in the temple of our God. We will store the produce in the storerooms of the temple of our God. We will bring the best of our flour and other grain offerings, the best of our fruit, and the best of our new wine and olive oil. And we promise to bring to the Levites a tenth of everything our land produces, for it is the Levites who collect the tithes in all our rural towns. A priest, a descendant of Aaron, will be with the Levites as they receive these tithes, and a tenth of all that is collected as tithes will be delivered by the Levites to the temple of our God and placed in the storerooms. The people and the Levites must bring these offerings of grain, new wine, and olive oil to the temple and place them in the sacred containers near the ministering priests, the gatekeepers, and the singers. So we promise together not to neglect the temple of our God. 1 Corinthians chapter 9, starting in verse 19. And Paul has been talking about paying uh, the, the leaders of the people, the spiritual leaders of the people, that they uh, deserve payment for their work, at least support for their needs. This means that I, Paul, am not bound to obey people just because they pay me. Yet I have become a servant of everyone so that I can bring them to Christ. When I am with the Jews, I become one of them so I can bring them to Christ. When I am with those who follow the Jewish laws, I do the same, even though I am not subject to the law, so that I can bring them to Christ. When I am with the Gentiles who do not have Jewish law, I fit in with them as much as I can. In this way, I gain their confidence and bring them to Christ. But I do not discard the law of God. I obey the law of Christ. When I am with those who are oppressed, I share their oppression so that I might bring them to Christ. Yes, I try to find common ground with everyone so that I might bring them to Christ. I do all this to spread the good news, and in doing so, I enjoy its blessings. Remember that in every, in every race, everyone runs, but only one person gets the prize. You must also run in such a way that you will win. All athletes practice strict self-control. They do it to win a prize that will fade away, but we do it for an eternal prize. So I run straight to the goal with the purpose in every step. I am not like a boxer who misses his punches. I discipline my body like an athlete, training it to do what it should. Otherwise, I fear that after my preaching to others, I myself might be disqualified. I don't want you to forget, dear brothers and sisters, what happened to our ancestors in the wilderness long ago. God guided all of them by sending a cloud that moved along ahead of them, and he brought them all safely through the waters of the sea on dry ground. As followers of Moses, they were all baptized in the cloud and the sea. 
And all of them ate the same miraculous food, and all of them drank the same miraculous water. For they all drank from the miraculous rock that traveled with them, and that rock was Christ. Yet after all this, God was not pleased with most of them, and he destroyed them in the wilderness. These events happened as a warning to us, so that we would not crave evil things as they did, or worship idols as some of them did. For the scriptures say, The people celebrated with feasting and drinking, and they indulged themselves in pagan revelry. And we must not engage in sexual immorality as some of them did, causing 23,000 of them to die in one day. Nor should we put a test as some of them did, and then died from snake bites. And don't grumble as some of them did, for this is why God sent his angel of death to destroy them. All these events happened to them as examples for us. They were written down to warn us who live at the time when this age is drawing to a close. If you think you are standing strong, be careful, for you too may fall into the same sin. But remember that the temptations that come into your life are no different from what others experience. And God is faithful. He will keep the temptation from becoming so strong that you can't stand up against it. When you are tempted, he will show you a way out so that you will not give in to it. Psalm 34, 1 through 10. This is one of my favorite psalms. It's where my life verse is. I will praise the Lord at all times. I will con constantly speak his praises. I will boast only in the Lord. Let all who are discouraged take heart. Come, let us tell of the Lord's greatness. Let us exalt his name together. I prayed to the Lord and he answered me, freeing me from all my fears. Those to, who look to him for help will be radiant with joy. No shadow of shame will darken their faces. I cried out to the Lord in my suffering, and he heard me. He set me free from all my fears. For the angel of the Lord guards all who fear him, and he rescues them. Taste and see that the Lord is good. Oh, the joys of those who trust in him. Let the Lord's people show him reverence. For those who honor him will have all they need. Even strong young lions sometimes go hungry, but those who trust in the Lord will never lack any good thing. Proverbs 21:13. Those who shut their ears to the cries of the poor will be ignored in their own time of need. To end today, we have we are in the guided life from The Life You Always Wanted. And uh, Ortberg is talking about how God speaks to us. And he's talking about how we speak to one another. He says, I must express ideas in words so that you can hear or read them. I need to give them some physical form in order to communicate them with you. But God does not. God can directly guide my thoughts without the aid of intervening sounds or images. C.S. Lewis was getting to this idea when he wrote, if your thoughts and passions were directly present to me, like my own, without any mark of externality or otherness, how should I distinguish them from mine? You may reply, as a Christian, that God and Satan do in fact affect my consciousness in this way, direct way without signs of externality. Yes, and the result is that most people remain ignorant of the existence of both. Here is the vital point. God may be speaking to you, affecting your consciousness, to use Lewis's words, while you remain ignorant of the fact that this very thought is coming from God. 
So it is possible that God may speak to us and our thoughts may be guided by him without our knowing that it is God's guidance. This happened to Samuel when he was a boy. God spoke to him directly one night, but Samuel did not realize it was God speaking. Samuel needed the help of Eli, the priest, to learn to recognize the voice of God. Before we consider how to pursue guidance, let's clear up some misconceptions about it. Guidance is not insider information. And he talks about the idea of let's make a deal. You know, you're going to choose this door or this door. And we tend to try to seek God for big decisions, thinking that his blessing is behind one and not the other. He writes, a key test to know whether we really want God's guidance is to ask, how often do I seek God's guidance when I'm not facing trouble or a difficult decision? A helpful way to learn to see that guidance is at first, uh, to see guidance is at first to avoid seeking guidance for external decisions like taking a job or whom to marry. Start seeking guidance for the growth of your soul. What that means is to ask questions like, how do I become a more truthful person? Whom do I know who can teach me to pray in a way that will nourish my soul? What practices will enable me to live in joy continually? Secondly, guidance is not a badge of spiritual importance. Hearing God speak to us is no indication that we are unusually spiritual or mature or important. God is able to communicate with whomever he chooses. And he gives the example of speaking through the donkey in the story of Balaam. Seeking guidance is not the same thing as being passive. People will wonder whether they should pursue a new job. One man told me that he decided not to seek a job he was interested in on the grounds that it would be a sign of God's will if he got the job without trying. And he says, God did not create people in his own image for passivity. He is not a passive God. When we face important decisions, we must pray, seek guidance, and exercise judgment, wisdom, initiative, choice, and responsibility. And finally, guidance is not a way to avoid taking risks. Sometimes we don't really want guidance so much as we want to avoid taking chances. Decision-making can be lonely. Even small decisions can create insecurity. Personhood is formed through making decisions. We learn to think and weigh options, discover what we truly value, and take responsibility for our choices. God wants us to be people, not robots, and that means we must make decisions. If all those things are what guidance is not, how do we then pursue the guidance of the Spirit? That is what we will talk about tomorrow. Hope you have a wonderful day. Love you all.